Hey, Mike. Hi, Caleb. How are you doing? I'm doing well. What are you drinking tonight? I have actually made up a cocktail. Oh. Um, since this is the return of the Alien Dreadnought, mm-hmm. I have actually made up a cocktail called the Alien Dreadnought. And mm-hmm. it is actually surprisingly delightful. It came out better than I was expecting. So I'll I'll post the recipe with the uh, with the uh, show notes on, on Reddit. Uh, Can I take you... a guess of uh, one of the components? Oh, yeah, sure. Chartreuse. No, no, I actually did not. Oh. I almost I almost put some yellow chartreuse in, but I withheld it. Um, so I'll have to try a variation and see if that in, uh, makes it any better. But it's it's Laird's apple brandy, um, some sweet vermouth, and some Benedictine, and uh, some uh, I have these Fees Brothers cocktail bitters, which are quite nice. Um, so yeah. Anyways, um, I guess I just spoiled the recipe, but I'll put the exact uh, <laughs> ratios uh, in there. Uh, how about you? What are you drinking tonight? Well, I'm feeling a little under the weather tonight, so I'm having a classic fizzy water. Okay, so a, a gin and tonic minus the gin and the sugar. It's just a Pellegrino. Oh, okay. All right. Mineral water then. Mineral right. water. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. It's all right. The show must go on as P.T. Barnum would say. I would say the show can't go on. You don't have a cocktail. All right. So let's wrap it up. Where can people reach us if they want to uh, complain about your drink selection? Apparently people skip this part of the show. So most people won't even hear this. All right. So I shouldn't be dragging it on even further then. So let's uh, dive into some numbers. Yeah. So today I thought we could talk uh, mostly about the Q3 earnings call and results that came out. Um, we last week was a very busy week for Tesla. They had the earnings call, and then on Friday they also had the Solar City Tesla announcement of the solar roofs and the new power pack and power wall. So they're so, operating under the assumption that the acquisition is going to go, the merger is going to go through. Yeah, they they had no Solar City branding on anything. So <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. We'll 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 address that next week. Yeah, so I thought we could talk about it next week. There'll be some more research we want to do on um, roofing and roofs in all around the world and, and try and get more detail as it comes out over the coming days um, about the roofing product. So I thought we could cover the Q3 earnings call uh, since that's more pressing and it happened first um, and we'll do roofing on uh, the next episode. Wow, that's quite a tease. Next episode, tune in for details on roofing. Yeah, we have a very uh, enthralled audience, I'm sure. <laughs> so some of the highlights. It was a profitable quarter for Tesla, uh, the first in three years. So they pulled off what they had uh, stated they were attempting to do for this quarter, be profitable on both a gap and non-gap basis. Can you explain what that means? Yeah. So um, companies can report earnings, excluding certain items to better communicate to the investing community how they feel and manage the business. And then there are generally accepted accounting principles, which is uh, the long version of GAAP. And that is what uh, all companies need to adhere to when they report earnings so that they're comparable against uh, other companies. And so many technology companies, for instance, like to tout their non-GAAP earnings because they exclude uh, certain non-cash items like stock-based compensation expense. So instead of paying people all with cash, uh, like most companies, many tech companies give people stock options. And Tesla does this as well. And then there are also some other items um, where there's certain accounting rules around how you deal with um, leases and certain items where maybe you sold the item and you expect to receive the revenue, but you have to account for it uh, in parts as you actually receive the cash. Oh, sorry. I'm, I dozed off right there. You asked for an explanation. Uh, <laughs> I regretted it immediately. I'm sorry. So no, yes. it's okay. All right. So generally accepted accounting practices. So it's kind of a level playing field for comparing stock of company A to company B. Yes. Okay. Yes. So they were they were profitable. So they uh, the top line was 2.3 billion in revenue, 
uh, with a net income, so profit of $22 million. And uh, Wall Street was expecting a loss. Um, so they, they beat expectations. And uh, they had um, they also generated $176 million in free cash flow. So um, basically cash generated through the operations during that period. Wait, um, so can you explain that? What is free cash flow and how does that relate to profit? Yeah, so you may, if you think about it in terms of like a normal household budget or spending, if you bring in $1,000 in cash uh, and you ended up spending $500 in cash, you would have $500 in free cash flow, essentially. Um, but you could owe someone money and commit to them, but it's not due for next the next month or next week. Um, so you actually now have a new liability, which you're committed to, which would decrease your profits, but your cash flow is actually high. So oh, okay. it, it basically just helps to make sure you understand what your cash basis is, because you could also have the opposite, where you have commitments for revenue that you're going to start uh, sort of putting on your books, but you actually don't have any cash to support it because you didn't get any, you didn't get paid yet. And so your business could, you, you could go out of business um, because you don't have any cash coming in and you can't make your, your no payroll, even though you've just made a lot of big deals, for instance. Okay. So now if we're talking about, what did you say? 3.2 or was it 2.3 billion? 2.3 billion in revenue. Okay. So 2.3 billion in revenue and then $22 million of profit on that. That's like, what one percent maybe so that seems like we're getting into such a huge amount of revenue such a small amount of profit it feels like they could have had either some profit or no profit depending on how they decided to um, move their money around it feels like it's not a significant amount yes so that's true they um they did a few things in the quarter to help and also some things that would have hurt that um that number. So um, they invested 250 million towards increasing production capacity. So that would have been uh, under what's called capital expenditure capex. So they spent 250 million dollars on the Gigafactory, on um, some of the production for Model Three, and also for more stores and and uh, superchargers. Um, so they could have spent less there, and and they would have had more net income. They also paid off 600 million dollars in debt. Um, which would have um, helped their balance sheet um, or would, would have sort of shown up as more free cash. And then the, the sort of important thing is like they started the quarter with $3.2 billion in cash and they ended with 3.1. So they basically had no impact on their cash. And that's a really important thing for Tesla in particular is that the challenge with anything, and we've talked about this in the past, producing cars is a very capital intensive process. It takes a lot of money to build the facilities to make cars. And so there's always been a concern that Tesla's just burning cash, like all these headlines of burning cash and just destroying cash and needing more and more money, that this is really one of the first times they've been able to show that their operations actually are sort of funding them. So it's basically running at break even, uh, as you pointed out. Um, do you think it's more of a public relations decision to do that? Or I feel like it could have probably massaged the numbers to uh, have, have profit or not have profit at that level? Yeah, I think they certainly were very sensitive to all of the um, components that went into it. And I think that they wanted to make sure they had a profit this quarter. But I think, I think many quarters they've wanted to have a profit, but they were so far off, um, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that they, there's no way they could have, they, they could have massaged it. 
and not um, impacted their actual practices and like going concern things. So they've generally said we're, we're investing for growth and they feel, and on the call they talked about it a lot and we'll get into it, but they, they feel like they're continuing to invest for growth and they still had these, had these results and that they expect next quarter will also be profitable. So there, um, Elon on the call sort of talked about how he, he heard a lot of people saying, well, they're just, you know, to your point, manipulating this, this quarter to sort of steal from the next quarter or uh, put off expenses for the next quarter. And they, they did a pretty good job of uh, dissuading people that there was any big sort of um, push-offs where they're, they're trying to hide stuff under the rug, as it were. It's, on um, the, uh, it's all on the up and up. Yeah, so it seems it seems pretty good. So they did uh, twenty four thousand eight hundred twenty one deliveries. So in the, a few episodes ago, we talked about that first number that came out a few weeks ago um, for how many they had delivered, and it, this actually was three hundred more than they from that initial count. Remember, we said it could be a couple percentage points plus or minus. So it was actually three hundred more um, than they originally reported. And one of the other really cool things was that um, one of the challenges would be. Uh, with Model S, for instance, it's been around since 2012. Is demand still strong? Like, you, there was also concerns that people were saying, "Well, they're just selling a lot of inventory cars. They're slashing prices and discounting to sell all these. Do people actually want the Model S still?" Uh, and deliveries grew 60% year over year in the U.S. market. Um, so, from Tesla's point of view, and and they wanted to make it clear that. Uh, deliveries are still strong uh, and, and demand is still strong for the Model S and still growing, actually. So as I'm hearing that, I'm wondering, does that mean that more people can afford a Model S that couldn't previously afford one? Or is it that people who are already in that segment of the market have come up to like, you know, their their lease or their whatever is up and they decided to go with the Model S this time? Do you know if the if that if the segment that they're in has grown and they're growing with it, or is it that they're converting people who would otherwise be BMW or Mercedes uh, owners? Yeah, it's a bit of both. So on the um, cost side, they called out specifically that the uh, 60 kilowatt hour pack Model S, which was introduced in the very beginning of the quarter, very end of last quarter, has um, been very strong. There's been a lot of demand for that lower priced entry level Model S. And also the numbers came out for the comparisons for the Model S versus the 7 Series BMW and the Audi A8, and they continue to take share from them, even though the total um, market for that, uh, for, for the segment isn't growing proportionally. So it's they're uh, on a relative basis, increasing their share and stealing it from those people, uh, from those other manufacturers. So yeah, there are more people choosing Model S who potentially would have been choosing one of the other car makers, large 50, 60, $70,000 uh, sedans. And so that also is, uh, in, is good news that um, there currently is not another vehicle that is stealing share from from tesla they just continue to be taking small bits from from all the other major um, uh, luxury brands in the segment and one of the other things about the profit was um, to the discounting right remember there were all those those people saying that tesla was doing this massive discounting and elon even came out and said there were a few cases of it on twitter and that he was going to put an end to it. And some people were saying that was quite convenient to say that at the end of the quarter after all those discounts had been given. And so many analysts were concerned that they had um, 
put a fire sale on essentially <laughs> and that sure you sold a lot of cars but at, at very poor margin would not be good and so they had very clear answers for this uh, to try and rebut this um, so gross profits for the automotive sector so the car sales were actually up quarter over quarter up to 25 percent so um 25 gross margins on the cars and so that was up 1.4 percentage points um, from the previous period which is a pretty good increase and so that came from increased efficiency so spending less time actually manufacturing uh, the vehicles the actual cost of the parts that went into them was, was down a, a little bit um, the amount of extra shipping they paid uh, to expedite parts to make sure the deliveries kept up went down because their supply chain is getting more consistent and robust and then also they got more leverage on the uh, factory and the labor costs so if you can produce more cars per hour uh, in the factory uh, you're still paying the people the same amount but they can make more cars and so the cost per car for labor and sort of um, the factory costs go down um, and so that also contributed to it so do they specify any way to tell if that is a reduction in the cost of the raw materials uh, where the you know the price of the car stays the same but the price of say raw aluminum goes down or is it uh, can we tell that it is actually them getting more efficient at, at actually producing them yeah so there were there were two components so the uh, the big piece was model x pricing was the big it was one of the biggest components um, that made the margin go up and so when model x was first started they were using what they called a lot of prototype parts and so they had <laughs> contracts for uh, smaller batches of of them and they had to run through all of those and so they the, the cfo called out that they've been using fewer of the prototype parts and they almost all the way through all their prototype contracts i like to imagine there's an army of 3d printers just like creating one-off components in the factory yeah so so they they basically um are starting to get to better volume pricing um, for many of the model x components mm -hmm. they also uh have been switching out parts and switching out suppliers that they said had a neutral effect on the performance for the customer, um, but had a, a pretty big cost decrease. So lower cost parts that in their view don't change the actual performance of the said part. So it's not clear if that's actually, you know, a material cost difference, but it is something they called out that perhaps a, a seal or a piece of glass or a set of bolts uh, they're now getting cheaper or they've engineered uh, a, a, you know, a thinner bolt or a smaller bolt or something that now uh, reduces the cost. And then, as I was just mentioning also, that because there are 4,000 to 5,000 parts in one of these cars and SUVs, if one of them is late, uh, it stops the line. And so they previously, because they were still sorting out their production facilities, were expediting a lot of these parts and paying a lot for extra shipping. And uh, as we all know as consumers, overnight shipping is pretty expensive. It's really expensive when the parts are made of metal and really heavy and large. Have they considered signing up for Amazon Prime? They did not call out Amazon Prime, but they should talk to Jeff Bezos about that. But we actually do have some new info on on uh, shipping, which is kind of cool. Uh, okay, they're not using OnTrack, are they? Because that's a terrible idea. <laughs> no, even though they're in Nevada, um, <laughs> at, it's a tease. But they're going to start shipping, renting out entire boats. So, uh, so that had a that had a pretty good um, element, and and they said of the price decreases of Model S. Um, so the average selling price of Model S went down. Uh, quarter over quarter primarily because of the 60 kilowatt hour pack about a third of the decrease was because of uh, 
discounting. So the average selling price went down 6% and two percentage points of that 6% were discount. So a very small percentage of cars were discounted. Um, and you can see that because the selling price didn't go down drastically. So, so that's good to know. And I don't expect to see too much about that in the future um, since it, it seems to be a non, a non-issue. Cool. So what else do we have? We have like stores and superchargers in here as well. Yeah, they gave us some more numbers there. So remember last time we were talking, they said they were going to try and open one new store every four days. And that was kind of surprising to us. It's a bit optimistic. Yeah. So they opened 17 new stores this quarter. So they fell a little short. Um, You would have expected 23 uh, new store opening, so six more than they did. Yeah, that's still more than one a week, right? Well, we have like 13 weeks in a quarter, so they're yep, yep. one point something per week. And so now they're up to a nice even 250 stores worldwide. And then Superchargers, um, they now they ended with 715 locations with 4,461 actual plugs. Is that uh, U.S. or globally? That's global. Okay. And so six months previously, Q1, they ended with 615 and 3,600. So I computed it. And so in six months, they've grown superchargers 16%. And the actual points, the actual chargers themselves, 24%. Do you suspect that they're going to accelerate that as the Model 3 rollout nears? Like, do you think 2017 will be, we'll see as much uh, supercharger expansion as it does like Model 3 ramp up? I think it has to, or I think it needs to, because 24% improvement increase in the number of actual uh, charging plugs is not keeping pace with the ratio of cars um, sold. I mean, they've sold more than 24% more cars in that six month period. And so what that means then is they either believe that the efficiency and the ratio of cars to supercharger locations uh, has more room to fall out of line where they, they, they believe there could be more cars per supercharger location still. And so they don't, they can let those diverge or they're having trouble actually getting the permits and getting them installed. It doesn't seem to be a cost problem. They've never called out that it's too expensive for them or that they're having any material challenges with superchargers. So it seems as if they're, they're, they're going to plan. It's not something they're calling out. And we also know that the Model 3 will not have the supercharging included for free, or the usage for free, as it is with the Model S and X. And so perhaps they still believe a much smaller percentage of Model 3 owners will opt for that. But it is, it is a concern. And, and one of the challenges, obviously, is that peak demand around the holidays in certain corridors is more challenging than, than others. But they, they called out that now 97% of the population in the U.S. and 86 in Western Europe are now within 150 miles of superchargers. So 150 miles would indicate that, you know. <laughs> That's pretty far. <laughs> well, on all their cars, you could get to a supercharger to continue your distance. Yeah, yeah that's a road trip uh, analysis, not a daily life analysis. And I think that's the point is that they still see superchargers as a, as a road tripping device. And many users are using them as a daily charging device. And I think that's the, that's the, the disconnect between the owners and Tesla that is, is one of the sources of frustration. Clearly, m- many of the people who are using California superchargers in Mountain View are not road tripping. Uh, they, <laughs> they live around Mountain View or Palo Alto or San Jose or in LA, uh, the folks in LA using LA superchargers. So that's going to be something that I think will need to be addressed. And, you know, they have things they could do there, but 
I do agree they need more. Yeah, especially as you get into the Model 3 and the lower cost model being that people who purchase that might not necessarily have, uh, they might not own their their residence that they live in, right? So they're renters or they have street parking and uh, charging at your place of work or at some other point along the course of your weekly life, that becomes uh, a bigger concern. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's something that's a concern for me. My building isn't going to let me put in a charger in my carport, even though California says they need to. So we'll see if I want to push on that or try and get it installed at um, where I work. Um, it's definitely something uh, it's going to be continue to come up and I think could be one of the, the primary challenges for Model 3 owners. And I have to believe Tesla has thought about this. And the question is, do they take the approach of, well, that's not a good product for you, or this is a problem we need to solve and we just haven't told people what the solution is yet. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much they've uh, sort of gotten out of the building, as it were, because I was actually back home uh, in New Hampshire this past week and I was talking to my parents about electric cars because they're in the in the market for a new vehicle and we were talking about hybrids and mm-hmm. electric vehicles. And it was really interesting to get a baby boomer perspective and they're not car people at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was very interesting to hear like there was a lot of confusion around hybrids and are hybrids plugged in and and now there's like a plug-in hybrid and there's this like concept of plug-in hybrids, which is further confusing uh, in, in the sort of layperson's mind, this idea Mm -hmm. of plugins and hybrids and, uh, when you can charge and I guess the abstract range anxiety that was coming out ahead of time. Uh, it was just really interesting to talk about that and explain how range and charging and how that works. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty interesting to kind of step outside the Silicon Valley bubble and, uh, and hear about what the average American thinks about. I don't know if they're average. That, that might have been a bit presumptuous. Did they have a, any thoughts or opinions on Tesla in particular? Well, they're not in the market for Tesla. Mm. I mean, uh, they're, they're, they're might be closer to being in the market for like a Model 3, I guess, in that range. They're not going to be spending a hundred grand on a car. Mm-hmm. Plus, they're snowbirds from New Hampshire as well. So they have the road trip down to Florida once a year to migrate south for the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's, that's also a bit of a concern. Um, although they do have two vehicles. So, you know, they could have one that is for road trips and one that's for city, but it's uh, very much not in their mindset. Either vehicle should be able to do to do either in their in their uh, the way they think of of vehicles. Got it. So it's more of a bug than a feature. Mm. Speaking of snowbirds in Florida and sunshine, Solar City was also mentioned on the call. And nice segue. Uh, thank you. Tesla is still in uh, the process to acquire them. Uh, there's uh, financials coming out November first, and then November seventh, I believe, is the vote. And so analysts were asking, what does Tesla expect this will do to? Tesla's balance sheet and needs for cash because currently Solar City requires uh, a lot of cash as well. And so Elon was saying on the call that he expects that it will be cash neutral to slightly positive in Q4 uh, when they if the transaction goes through and that he says he thinks things are looking good. And uh, he said, I quote, it's not to say that there's some darkness ahead. They look really quite good right now. So they currently believe SolarCity will um, benefit from being inside of, of, of Tesla and some of their own costs will be shared, uh, accounting people may be laid off and things like that. But uh, the, the core business, they believe, will, will benefit from the Tesla stores and the Tesla customer base and marketing to the Tesla customer base that will reduce the customer acquisition costs 
which is the primary uh, one of the primary reasons the t- Solar City uses so much cash is it, it currently costs them a lot to get a customer. Um, hashtag synergy. Hashtag synergy for sure. But isn't I mean isn't debt really really cheap right now? Yeah, debt is. They said they've gotten some new debt around two percent. So um, debt is debt is definitely quite cheap. Solar City's ratings are not that good. So Tesla's ratings are a bit better. Credit um, ratings. Credit ratings. Yeah. And also getting debt financing on solar panels is a little better since um, they are assets and they do generate revenue through electricity. So it's generally not been a problem for Solar City to get loans to pay for the uh, solar panels, which which they lease to customers. Um, and so I expect Tesla will have a similar um, strength there and, and will be able to benefit from that leasing for some other products they want to talk about <laughs> in next episode. All right. Yeah. Let's put a pin in that until next episode and maybe move on to autopilot and the transition away from Mobileye into the Tesla. Are they calling it the OctoCam? Because I feel like it's if it's an eight camera solution and they're not calling it the OctoCam, they might be leaving money on the table there. So let's let's call it the OctoCam and okay. moving, moving from Mobileye to OctoCam. So one of the analysts asked, uh, is this full self-driving suite you put on the cars actually going to work? Um <laughs> Was he expecting a node? That so that that's one question about the guy's thoughtfulness on asking his question. But <laughs> uh, apparently, in the past week or so since it, the announcement, um, Mobileye in particular and, and other analysts have come out and said they don't believe it's possible. And so uh, Elon said, uh, first of all, I'd like to separate what Tesla says from s- say some suppliers of ours is issuing bullshit. Um, <laughs> So I hadn't heard. I'm sorry. Is that an accounting term? No, I don't think it's an accounting term. I think it's a uh, a calling out term. Um, <laughs> he, I hadn't heard him. Uh, I don't know if it's a swear word, I guess, but use that sort of language on an earnings call before. And he he was definitely quite frustrated. And so he said, "Yeah, we feel highly confident that there's an a, the a camera solution with the 12 ultrasonics and the Ford radar and the computing power we have on board is capable of full autonomy at a level that's greater than a human." And he said, there are obviously skeptics out there. Well, I suggest they do not bet against us. And uh, he was quite emphatic about that. So, Did he slam his shoe on the table? He didn't slam his shoe. He just sort of left it there. He, he was right. not equivocating on it. Um, he, so I do believe there is a way it could have gone where they said, look, we, this is our expectation. Um, we really believe it's possible, but we're still a few years away. Um, but we've done everything we can with the hardware available and we have high confidence. So he could have hedged, but that answer is not a hedging answer. So I guess there's some information in there. Um, He's more of a full steam ahead kind of guy. He is more of a full steam ahead, but he he does seem to talk about things uh, in in his best estimation. Um, and so he'll say things like, "Don't this isn't a promise, but this is my best thinking," or and that gets him into trouble sometimes. Certainly on my best <laughs> estimation of when this event will start, yeah. a little bit of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Sure, yeah. So he he didn't. Um, they currently believe that setup will will work, and and yet many of the folks in the self driving community and world uh, do not believe it will. So that that will be uh, exciting to watch over the next six months to a year or two see the progressive rollouts of enhanced autopilot and then eventually the full self-driving and where that where that lands yeah it's not like there's a strong suite of evidence to buttress the negative claim either right like no one really knows yeah the negative case is just that there are people who have put many more sensors on cars to make themselves driving 
but they were not necessarily trying to create the minimum set of sensors. They were trying to create the maximal set to accelerate their ability to create self-driving. And I think even Elon Musk would agree that more sensors uh, and different types of sensors would lead to more data, which would be helpful. The, the problem is those sensor suites are not cost acceptable for a, a shipping vehicle that is not going to cost many hundreds of thousands of dollars and certainly would not work on a $30,000 car. So no one to date has who has self-driving vehicles out on the road been been trying to figure out what that minimal set of acceptable sensors are. And Elon even said in the in the when the autopilot um, new hardware was released, hardware two, that of course there would be updates over time and that the hardware would improve. Um, but this is the baseline you need. So I, I think that is all jives with what they've said. And the, te- the financial community just obviously is not technically backed to understand self-driving vehicles. That's not their job. Uh, and so when they have folks who are, they call for sources and they say there's no way that Tesla can do it, um, those are not Tesla employees saying it. They're non-Tesla employees. Um, so yeah, and they know. probably just see an enormous amount of risk that otherwise doesn't exist. No matter how dangerous the current situation is, at least it's not taking the risk on for the company. Yep, for sure. I think they certainly see that there are many other automakers who are making cars and people are buying them in far greater quantities than Teslas. So why are you adding this extra risk? Um, I don't. It, they didn't seem to ask many questions about what they thought it would do to the demand curve, which I think they should have been asking. But like someone, sh- I I would have wanted to ask since the autopilot two, how many new orders have been coming in with people choosing the full self-driving option that you believe would not have come in otherwise, something like that to try and gauge what their what Tesla's belief uh, is for the change the demand curve because if it doesn't change the demand curve, um, that you know it is not uh, as big a deal. Yeah, see, that's term. why they should be letting us on the calls, man. They should. They're missing out by not letting us on there. Uh, I think it's a weird argument to say that, to argue for more sensors as a irrefutable fact that like more is better because, you know, you could argue that, you know, having a full F-15 heads up cockpit display in every vehicle would be safer than the current system of a dashboard and a loud radio and cell phones and a seat that can be reclined to people where they can't even see while they're driving. Like there's an awful lot of stuff that could be required and extra equipment that could be added to enhance the current manual driving experience that no one is arguing for. Yeah, exactly. Um, So it seems a little bit weird to say that if you don't have LiDAR, that's a non-starter. Yeah, I mean, two very simple options. Uh, You could enforce that the car can't move if the driver isn't wearing a seatbelt. And you could also put in breathalyzers into cars that they don't start. I should point out that in New Hampshire, that would not work because every time I go back to New Hampshire, as I mentioned, I was this week, I am shocked by the fact that A, seatbelts are not mandatory and B, motorcycle helmets are not mandatory. And I always do a double take when we go by someone on the highway going at 70 miles an hour on a motorcycle with no helmet on. It is, it, it blows my mind. Anyways, sorry. Sorry for the diversion. Yeah. So certainly there are many other things we could do uh, to push for, for more safety. And uh, Elon Musk and Tesla are pushing the autonomy path, which they believe was more desirable uh, than sort of the eat your vegetables approach of put your seatbelt on and enforcing that. But uh, yeah, of course, there are many other things that you could ask every automaker to do to make cars more safe. And we are not currently pushing for those. So um, <laughs> the fact you're going to chastise 
a company uh, for not doing the most they possibly could do in a theoretical uh, technical challenge seems a bit um, kettle black situation. Yeah. One of the other things on the safety side is they mentioned they talked to NHTSA, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, nailed it uh, a lot. <laughs> um, and uh, and so they said we, we talked to them around a, a very detailed level on a daily basis. And they're daily? certainly they see, yeah, they're certainly aware of the nitty gritty. And as I've said before, quoting Elon Musk, we've already seen a significant improvement in safety with the semi-autonomous features. And then he also said what's sort of less visible to the outside are all the cases where the version one of autopilot actually did a lot to mitigate the accident. So the impact velocity went from being potentially fatal or severe to where the customer actually stepped away and walked away from the car. And there's very many of those, and those provide a statistically significant sample set uh, far faster than fatalities uh, because fatalities are extremely rare. And so that he, he thinks they need actually six billion miles with autopilot so that you've got um, you know about 100 times the fatalities per mile ratio where you'd really be able to say that it's statistically safer for fatalities and that's where they need to get to. So, you know, the new autopilot hardware is just now being delivered. Um, they've, they've gotten hundreds of millions of miles on the first version, but they're going to need to get to billions of miles before they could prove the statistical safety on fatalities, but they will be able to prove statistical uh, significance on reduced accidents a lot sooner. So that was some good new information from Tesla on on those the nuance of those two different categories of how they think about safety. So the um, you mentioned the number of autopilot miles that they've logged, but you've also mentioned the changeover in autopilot hardware. And did they give you any sort of indication as to how much of the learnings on the old equipment is generalizable to the new equipment, or is it that you know, you can imagine that, you know, if you have one camera like Cyclops looking forward, that what you learn there isn't necessarily applicable to your three forward camera situation that they're going to have with the or that they currently have with the new autopilot hardware. And and how much of that is like, is, is all that old stuff tossed away or is it just useful for mapping knowledge or like what's the what's the breakdown there? So we didn't get too much on that. We didn't get anything on the call, actually, about that, um, except for that. Tesla has said, and their head of autopilot has said that the autopilot one does help with the fleet learning. And they haven't gone in much detail about the subsystems for autopilot, but if we, uh, so now I'm gonna move into speculation mode. <laughs> Can we get some background music for this? So we know uh, from actually from the comma AI guy, Holtz, that uh, Mobileye was not providing Tesla the raw data feed of the video. Um, they actually provide them sort of um, what he called the vision vectors um, which was data input around what the camera was seeing to inform the decisions. So Tesla didn't may not be able to train uh, the vision side. Does that mean uh, they were seeing a car at like 30 degrees? Or? Yeah, it may have been something like that where, where they were getting the actual output of uh, computer readable information versus the actual you know frames for their own neural network to assess okay so it was more abstract black box sort of thing yeah it was a level up in the layers of abstraction right but okay. we know there's they already were fusing from radar and ultrasonics so tesla if you zoom out tesla must have had a way to take the vision side from mobileye the ultrasonics and the radar fuse that together and also combine that with the gps 
and they're high resolution maps. So you, you might be up to like seven subsystems for what actually makes up the autopilot software. So if you take that to be true, which is an assumption about how those components would work software wise, then it may be true that the radar, which they've been improving quite a lot in the version eight change, would carry forward because the radar signals would be very similar since they've kept the same one radar. Now the radar itself, the actual model has improved, but the learnings about how the radar sees the world and what they want to extract from that could be shared. What the ultrasonics see and how ultrasonics present their information to the software and the level to which they influence the decision-making of the car could be potentially shared still. And then the high-resolution mapping of locating where the car is in its lane and in the world potentially could also be shared because that's relying a lot on the GPS and their sort of they create signatures of uniqueness along the roadway uh, to localize where the car is. And so it, I think what actually happened, my best bet is that the reason the autopilot features have not been enabled is because that vision component was such a primary component of how autopilot worked. And so they actually need real, a lot more real world miles using that. But many of the other sensors, because if they, if they think they're going to get there in three months, from where we we ship to saying December that the autopilot one level functionality would be available, then that would sort of indicate that the amount of miles they need is not so great and that perhaps it really is just getting that vision data uh, to supplement what they lost with Mobileye being pulled out of the system. And then from there, they're gonna continue to ramp up to the new enhanced autopilot features. So TLDR, I think <laughs> that there are many components that would be shared that are locked away in these subsystems and the vision piece is what they really uh were not they, they can't get without the hardware actually being on the road okay so you think that there is a lot that's generalizable um but you're not entirely sure yes all right <laughs> all right so we've another got... reason we need to get access to ask them some of these tough technical questions which i, know, I hope they would ask and it, or they would answer but perhaps they wouldn't can we send them an invite to our slack channel or something here and, and we get should. some get some direct info all right, so we've got uh, Gigafactory and Model 3, I think, are the last couple yep. of, of items here. Last two big items. So Gigafactory, highlight item, J.B. Straubel, their CTO, is point man on this project still, on track to begin cell production later this year, which was their stated goal for the past few years. Tesla's very confident it will have the best cell costs in the world once Gigafactory is up, and they're continuing to ramp up that 100 kilowatt hour battery pack, which was part of the P100D. That's not using gigafactory yet but i'm gonna mention in the same breath since it's battery related all right so um, this should be affecting their margins then it's gonna... yeah this helps pull up the margin and the 100 kilowatt packs in particular are their you know go into their highest priced vehicles and so the more they can produce uh the more high-end vehicles they can sell and apparently the 100 kilowatt packs are in very high demand and this is one of elon's top three priorities he said priority one is model three priority two is autopilot and priority three is ramping up the the 100 kilowatt hour packs, which was surprising to me. Uh, I wouldn't have pegged it that high on the priority list. Yeah, well, it's a status symbol, I guess, if it's the most expensive Tesla. And I think the other component there is it's, remember, this is the first time they're um, using their new cell pack design. And this second generation uh, seems like this might actually be part of the Model 3 pack structure. So uh, they may be ironing out technical challenges that will then be applicable to the Model 3 packs. And so why it's such a big priority for Elon is not just the low volume of it, but 
it's refining a technology that's going to be part of Model 3. So then they put in those new cells from the Gigafactory. And while it's not going to be a 100 kilowatt hour pack, you'll actually have the same sort of cooling structure potentially. So that's the only real reason I can imagine it's such a huge priority is that there's new Model 3 technology, a part of it that they pulled forward. And uh, sorting that out now with actual production cars is really uh, a good way to reduce the risk for the Model 3 battery pack. Right. Iron out the kinks at a, at a lower volume. Because uh, did they mention anything about the consumer reports downgrade of Tesla, uh, particularly in related to the quality control issues on the Model X? Tesla did not call out consumer reports by name on the call, uh, but they made a quite a large uh, call out on the um, the letter to to shareholders about a 92% reduction in service requests for Model X over the past year to try and allay fears that the Model X is a lemon of some sort um, because <laughs> Consumer Reports ranked it quite low. I will say that during my test drive, the Model X that I test drove did have a malfunctioning center console uh, door. Yeah, and that's not going to be upgradable by software, so no, that's no. tough. <laughs> That would require a human to fix that. Um, many of the things that Consumer Reports did call out as areas of, of concern were falcon wing doors, the locks and latches, power equipment, uh, in-car infotainment, and I think, oh yeah, climate system. So, <laughs> Other than that, though, it's other great. Other than that, it's great. So, the frunk is perfect. But, but just to be, so, so Consumer Reports uh, is self-reported info from Consumer Reports users who own the car, and it's gathered over an entire year. And so the beginning of this year was really when the first Model Xs really started making it to customers. And we know there are lots of issues, but the software has improved and the actual cars have improved. And Elon, over the past previous earnings calls, was even camping out at the end of the Model X factory line. And he talked about that again this time, saying that uh, <laughs> there was just a lot of things broken in our production system. And then he said, I personally probably took a year off of my life or more camping out at Fremont. Uh, solving those number of issues with some of the other members of the Tesla team. And that he also went on to say, we went through bloody hell in the first half of this year. We got out uh, of that basically around mid-June and the results in achieving a weekly production target of roughly 2,000 cars a week uh, show the results. So his point, and I think Tesla's point is, yes, the majority of our early Model Xs did have problems. Customers had to come into the service area. Uh, we recognize that we fixed those issues and that now they believe Model X is on much stronger footing. And so similar to what happened with Model S, where last year it was below average rating and now it's average for service uh, from consumer reports, I would expect that next year Model X, if it continues on this trajectory, would be uh, upgraded next, next year. <laughs> upgraded to average? Upgrade to average. All right. But then, but then Model S might be above average. That's true. That's true. It's all about the trend line. Yes. And so then lastly, the Model 3, the big part of everything that all this is going towards. The coming storm. Model 3 is on plan for volume deliveries in the second half of 2017. Reiterated. So no change there. This would be the time to start letting that slip because we're now nine months from that happening. I mean, so, they can't they can't let that slip at this point. I mean, that has to happen. Well, uh, there are many people who believe it is inevitable as a result of the Tesla Roadster being late, the Model S being late and the Model X being late. Uh, speaking of trend lines, many people believe that that trend line is uh, unavoidable in the case of Tesla. And um, so if Tesla believed that they were going to slip, now would be the time to start softening the ground from a PR point of view. 
to reset expectations that no, it's going to be the very end of 2017 instead of second half or early 2018 volume deliveries, but they're still holding to uh, second half volume deliveries of 2017. Oh, really? I thought it was end of 2017. No, second half. Oh, that's even more optimistic than I was expecting. Yes, that could be as soon as nine months from now. Okay, that just sounds ridiculous. So update on what they've done uh, on Model 3 uh, in the past three months. So they said, we've completed the production line layouts and we'll soon begin installation of the new body welding and the final assembly lines. And they said, we've got all of our suppliers lined up and the production equipment and components have been sourced. And they now are testing uh, vehicle subsystems such as the chassis, the high voltage drive system, low voltage systems such as vehicle controllers, HVAC, infotainment, and lighting. And as the refinement of Model 3 continues, we remain on plan for our timing, volume, vehicle capability, pricing, and margin targets. So they called out all of those components in the earnings letter saying they're all on track. What's the next milestone we should be looking for? We should be looking for next quarter that they've got the body line set up and they're doing pre-production runs either next quarter or the quarter after and saying they've got their prototype vehicles coming off the, coming off the line that they're now refining. That would sort of be the next major thing we'll hear about because yeah, they said they've got their suppliers lined up and, um, and the other thing that's going to be important is they said they're going to spend $1.8 billion on capital expenditures this year. They've only spent just around $800 million of that so far. So they have three months to spend a billion dollars, and they expect they will on capital expenditure. Like setting up the factory line? Is that? Yeah. yeah. So this quarter, they're going to do four times more spending than they did last quarter uh, on the factory, essentially. So this quarter, they're going to be installing a lot of robots. And so when they install these, like, is there any sort of lead time and i guess they must be incorporating this but is there a lead time for i give the company this much money to uh to pay for these assembly line robots that i need but when do they get delivered like uh, they they called that out too they said critical long lead time equipment and components have been sourced so they they they've called out that the things that take the longest amount of time have already been sourced and they will be available when they need them Okay, so the robot manufacturers are actually already getting ready yeah. for the... Okay. Yeah. yeah. And they also said we don't need any more cash for the Model 3 program, that they believe with their current cash balance and, and projections of how the business will do, Model 3 does not need a cash infusion, either by selling more stock or issuing bonds. Um, so they they believe they have what they need um, to do that, and that... Um, it just, they said that they, their projections just turned out a lot better than they expected because when they modeled from X and S, um, ramp and cost, they sort of, you know, did the, did the multiplication and got to a bigger number <laughs> than 1.8 billion, uh, in CapEx, but they've now pulled that back, um, to just 1.8 because they have found ways to do it more efficiently. And one thing they said, uh, also was that, um, they expect many of the payments will actually come in Q3 and Q4 of next year when they actually start production. And so they actually have deferred some of those payments with suppliers to later, uh, which they couldn't get done with SNX because those companies wanted their cash and wanted it now. <laughs> they do like net 180 with people? Something like that. And then also <laughs> they said they've gotten better terms from suppliers for the actual components of the vehicles. So for Model S and X, they get 45-day payments. But with Model 3, they have 60 days. And Elon called this out as like a big deal because he said that essentially what it means is 
that as they ramp production of Model 3, it will actually be a cash generator for Tesla instead of a cash consumer because of those payment terms, because they'll be able to actually produce the cars fast enough to get the money from the customer before they have to pay for the parts from the supplier. And so every car they make, uh, once that timing is correct, they will be making more cash. So they won't actually need tons and tons of cash to ramp up. And so that was really new information that, uh, and they, he seemed really excited about that, that they had figured that out. And then one, one of the other things he went into the, about how Model 3 is so different is that they'll actually also, you know, one of the, re- you, you can't get the revenue from the customer until you get them the car. And so even if the car is produced in Fremont and they ship it, you got to get it there before that, you know, 45 or 50 days remaining comes due. That the thing that happens once you have all these cars is that they're actually going to be able to, um, right now they have to wait for the ships and wait for the trains because they're not big enough to buy out the entire freight train or cargo ship and they can't drive themselves and they can't drive themselves but he said that now they're going to be able to uh, book a ship whenever they want because they're going to fill the entire ship up and so they get better pricing on that and they also get to control when it happens that's some Uh, serious ship that is some serious ship so he said the net effect instead of growth being a capital consumer growth will be a capital producer Um, (laughs) well hope springs eternal hey i mean but that's not crazy talk that's like pretty reasonable understanding of the cash uh, flows for for this system being different and trying to call those out that by getting the scale, it's not just that they are going to be making a lot more cars, but the financials of each individual car actually make uh, are materially different than for Model S and X. And True that. calling that out, I think, is both shows a, well, you would hope a thoughtfulness around the cash understanding <laughs> of how this is all going to work but also um, some of the things that they're doing differently that will actually potentially allow them to do what they're saying and starts giving more credence to the, to the fact that they have a plan to produce that half a million cars in such a short period of time where it, you know those things weren't possible with the SNX and also that category of car and SUV don't sell in those volumes where this category of car does. I wonder what the difference in production costs for a Model S and a Model 3 will be. They don't seem that different. So he said that the actual costs of the materials and the subsystems, he did call it out, are going to be about half. Really? Um, from Model S and X. Some, he said some are way more than half and some are uh, are not as much as half. And then he also said that once you actually start doing all the development of these subsystems in-house, which they're doing to drive the cost down, they actually increase the number of suppliers quite dramatically from what they have now because they're doing more of that vertical integration. But the value um, per part is obviously much lower because the intellectual capital of building the subsystem is now going to be inside Tesla instead of paying a third party the margin. All right. So uh, if you had to give them a letter grade for this quarter, what would uh, Professor Caleb rate Tesla? I would give them an A minus. A minus. Wow. That's a big, I, I should have probably looked up what your previous quarter was. I think it was like a, a B minus or a I think C so. plus last time. Yeah. It, it seemed pretty uh, hard of the bell curve last time. Yeah. I mean, to your last question, like the, there was one other thing I, that goes into that was saying that the Model 3 efficiency as a whole, it's in their view, a quantum change in productivity. And like he said, like really, really crazy. And so that alien dreadnought was also called out and he thinks they're going to be at 0.5 when it launches. And he said, I think it'll take about a year. So maybe summer 2018 to actually go to alien dreadnought version one. 
and that their goal <laughs> is the limit of physics for production. So as fast as those atoms can move through the factory is what they're aiming for. Sure, why not? Why not? So the AA minus goes for uh, this new CFO, uh, Jason Wheeler, who's been there about a year, seems to be doing a really great job on managing their cash and uh, improving efficiency for their spending, which has been needed. Um, and then the uh, production rate seems to be on track to get to their 50,000 vehicles for the end of the end of the year. And Model 3, three months more data, three months more production uh, work on their side. They continue to believe to be on track. And this would certainly be a time, like I said, where if you knew there were major items on that Gantt chart that were falling behind, that were unrecoverable, um, like those long lead time objects for the robots, if those were just not available or something was not going to happen, then now would be the time to start adjusting your plan. Or at least laying the foundation for it. Yeah, they've, they've, they've communicated no change there um, or even softening to say like, oh, well, we're going to start production then, but it's not going to be volume. No change there. So. I think that next quarter, the big things are, are just more Model 3 uh, work. And then uh, Solar City, if that goes through, will certainly be a big part of the call. Stay tuned next week for that detail. Yeah. So I think that's it. I feel like this was definitely a, a, a definitely a pretty meaty discussion of the earnings call. And I think I just really, I, I think probably people can tell, but I really like these earnings calls um, <laughs> because it's it's one of the best places to get information from from the company on on what they're doing what their plans are what they think is important and you get to hear uh elon musk uh jb straubel the cto and their cfo answer questions from analysts who are generally quite skeptical of them and so they have to defend themselves and they're not just in pr mode at their own presentations um being unchallenged and so you really get to hear what they think and and push back on people um which reveals a lot of info Imagine how much you'll like it if we finally get an invite to one when we get that dial-in number. I know. Well, we, I've, And now Caleb from the Tesla show has a question. What to ask. They did allow press on this call. They had a few questions from like the Motley Fool and others. So um, it, they seem to be opening up a little bit. So, um, <laughs> oh, and also the it's, it's possible in the next three months that we get the Model 3 reveal part three. So it's possible that by the next quarter, we'd have more information on the actual car and options and all that but i expect that'll actually be the quarter after so exciting all right where can people find us if they want to comment on the bips and the comment and the on the bips or, or maybe if you have some sort of speculation as to what part three might be uh yeah. you can hit us up on twitter at the tesla show on our website at the tesla show.com or you can comment or upvote us on reddit at r slash the tesla show all right sounds good talk to you soon mike all right bye Kev. bye